Today on Best in Wealth, we're going to talk about rebalancing. What is it? Why do we do it? And what are the two types? And be sure to listen to the end so you don't leave money on the table. You are listening to the Best in Wealth podcast, episode number 164. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I am your host of the best in wealth podcast now this is a show dedicated to helping real people that is you my friend build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level i am a fiduciary a certified financial planner a dave ramsey smart vester pro an educator a wealth advisor and it is great to be with you today and today's episode is all about strategic rebalancing and last week I talked a lot about some fluff. So before we get to the topic of the day, just wanted to let you know that (laughs) the Best in Wealth podcast is about a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, we want to be better family stewards and we want to build abundance in all of our cornerstones like our finances, our family, our friends, our spirituality, our health, both our physical and mental health our careers, all of it. And in order to become better family stewards, sometimes we talk about goals. Sometimes we talk about the things we should be focusing on. And it's not always money. In fact, money is just the driver. And so last week got real fluffy talking about ways to build your family fortress. So if you haven't listened to episode 163, hop over to bestandwealth.com, click on 163 or wherever you listen to podcasts on your app or however you consume podcasts. Get there and listen to that one because today we're going to get a little more mechanical. Okay, We're going to get technical in our portfolios and talk about rebalancing. But again, before we get there, last weekend there was one night where I was home alone. That doesn't happen very often. My 22-year-old's off in college My 10-year-old was off to her best little buddies at a sleepover, and my wife and 12-year-old were out of town at a volleyball tournament that my 12-year-old was in. So it was just me. And I didn't just sit around. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I did catch a couple episodes of season three of Cobra Kai. I mean, I'm class of 89 high school. Karate Kid was an iconic time. It was an iconic movie and I loved it. And so moving into Cobra Kai, uh, I did catch a couple episodes and I have to do it when my wife's not around because, you know, she thinks that uh, the acting is real poor. Well, probably because it isn't great, but I still love the series. But I did spend most of the day cleaning, laundry, grocery shopping, food prepping, that kind of stuff. I even got into the weeds And I have this one drawer in my bedroom. That's my drawer. And it is, uh, you know, right under the coffee maker. Go figure. We got a coffee maker in the bedroom. 
just the way my wife wants it, but there's a couple of drawers underneath, and one has, you know, coffee cream in it, and the other one, it's my drawer, basically my junk drawer. But last March, I had that thing just looking perfect. There wasn't a lot of stuff in there, just a, a few things like gift cards and maybe some bills, some dollar bills and few other things that I just don't know where else to put them. Maybe my fantasy football Super Bowl ring. Those kinds of things are in there. And in March, it was perfect. And then what happened? Life <laughs> took over. And that drawer for me is when I get home at night and I'm taking off my jeans to get on my pajamas. I empty my pockets out. And what's in my pockets? Well, sometimes coins, receipts, gosh, wallet, keys, all kinds of things. Once in a while, bottle caps because I might have a beer out in the garage. I don't know, but just stuff. And it just starts piling up. Grocery lists are in there, weeks worth of grocery lists, all kinds of stuff. But last weekend, I got it back to square one again, and it is looking beautiful. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. Strategic rebalancing. I thought it would be a good idea to do a show about rebalancing your portfolio because there are different ways to go about it. And there's research around it that we ought to be paying attention to. But before we get into the two different types, we need to define what rebalancing is and why we do it in the first place. So picture this, you have, you're starting a new job, your 401k, and you get your elections, and you talk to your buddy next to you, and you decide you're going to get into to these five mutual funds. You feel like they're pretty diversified, and you're going to put 20% of your money in each of these five mutual funds. One might be a U.S. You know, mutual fund worth of U.S. companies. One might be international, developed. One might be emerging. One might be a bond fund, maybe a real estate fund. I don't know. Five different asset classes. Now, hopefully, you don't get in five different mutual funds that have a bunch of overlapping companies because you're just looking at the last one, three, five, and 10-year returns. If that's the case, you need to head over to Best in Wealth right now, schedule a 15-minute call with me because that's no way to build a diversified portfolio. Having more mutual funds doesn't mean you're diversified if all of those mutual funds have basically the same thing. All right, back to rebalancing. Okay, what is it? Well, you got these five mutual funds, 20% allocation in each. Your first deposit goes in. You're hopefully investing 15% of your gross income, and it gets put in there, and it's working for you now. That money's in the 401k. A thousand bucks went in. So there's $200 in each mutual fund. Well, then what happens? The market opens the next day. U.S. does horrible. International does great. Bonds kind of stay the same. So now you don't have a 20% allocation in each of these mutual funds. The international funds that did well might represent 23% of your portfolio now. The bonds might still be 20%, but the U.S. stock mutual funds might be 18%. 
Now you're out of alignment. You meant to get 20% in each of those mutual funds, and now it's not so. So when we rebalance a portfolio, we get it back to square one so that each of these mutual funds have 20% back in it. That's rebalancing. But there's different ways to go about it, and there's smart ways to go about it, and then there's kind of lazy ways to go about it. But why do we want to rebalance in the first place? What's the big deal? That some of these are now 22% of the portfolio and some of these are 18%. Well, think about it for a second. If you have stock mutual funds and bond mutual funds, in the long term, those stocks are going to go up probably on average more so than the bonds because the stocks are riskier. U.S. stock market has averaged a little over 10% since the early 20s. Bond market a whole lot less. So after a year, two years, five years, it might be drastically different that U.S. stock mutual fund might represent 35% instead of 20, and that bond might represent, I don't know, 10% instead of 20. So what happened to the portfolio? Well, originally, you got into some sort of risk level. And if you listen to this podcast long enough, you know that we define risk between 1 and 99 your risk level one, all your money's under the mattress, or maybe in some cash fund in your 401k. You're a 99, you're in one volatile stock. If you work for a large corporation and you can buy inside of your 401k, the company that you work for, and if it's a really volatile company, well, now you're a 99. Well, you, my friend, shouldn't be a one, you shouldn't be a 99, you should be somewhere in between. And a lot of it depends on risk tolerance. How much can you actually take before you sell? I mean, investing 101 is this. We need to stay on the roller coaster ride. We get into a certain risk level, let's say a 65, because that fits our risk tolerance. We know that if we're in a portfolio that's a 70 and the market drops, and we know that it drops, because on average we see a correction, Every year, we see bear markets three, four times a decade and two recessions a decade. The market's going to go down. Those that try and time the market get in and out, they often mostly end up with less money than they deserve because that is a difficult way to live your life for anyone. Even the smartest people on the planet have a hard time timing the market. It just doesn't work. But you, as a 65 risk tolerance, if you are now in a portfolio that's a 70, now we're above the risk that you can actually stomach. So when the market does tank, you can't take it anymore. You create an emotional response and work and do something based off of your emotions, like sell your mutual funds or change your mutual funds around or fire your financial advisor, something, because you got to do something because you are above and beyond your risk tolerance and the market now dropped. The goal is to get you in a portfolio, in a risk number that's perfect for you, get you up to that edge where it makes you a little nervous when that stock market goes down, but you know you have a plan and you know that your risk tolerance is set for you. And so you don't sell and you end up with every dollar that you deserve for taking the risk that you did. We have to rebalance 
Because if your risk tolerance is a 65 and two years later, your portfolio has more stocks than it should or more bonds than it should, and specifically more stocks than it should, you're above your risk tolerance. You are at risk of doing something emotionally to your portfolio. We don't want that. That's the number one reason why we rebalance. And there's a second reason why we rebalance. Rebalancing offers us the opportunity to buy low and sell high. If your stocks in your international developed mutual fund is doing really well this year and it's outperforming your other five mutual funds that you have, well, now we have an opportunity to sell high because the international mutual fund might make up 25% of your portfolio. Now we're selling high to get it back to 20 and now we're buying low because maybe the U.S. market wasn't doing so hot so that's representing less than 20% of your portfolio. So now we're using those proceeds of what we sold to boost your U.S. mutual fund back up to 20%. That's how we buy low and sell high. And think about it for a second. In times of recession, when stocks are just dropping like crazy, like let's say last March, you know what's really suffering at that time are your stocks. If the stock market drops so much, now your bond mutual funds represent way more than 20% and your stocks less than 20%. If that was our goal to begin with, the 20% in my example. So in this situation, we're selling bonds because it's representing more than 20% and going to buy stocks when they're low. Buying low. All the research suggests that rebalancing is a really good idea that it helps our portfolio it keeps us in the risk level that we ought to be in and it allows us to buy low and sell high okay great scott now how do i do it how do i rebalance well there's two different types of rebalancing one is just what i like to call regular rebalancing that you're doing it at a set time every year. If you look into your 401k right now, you probably have an opportunity to set up an automatic rebalancer. Meaning that at a set time each year, let's say once a year on July 15th, your 401k and all those investments in your 401k will automatically rebalance. You don't need to do anything. The trades will take place to get you right back into your target allocation of that 20% for each mutual fund. But there's choices here. There's choices when you do rebalancing. And even this automatic rebalancer, some of them allow you to do it once a month, once a quarter, once a year. What is best? How often should I rebalance this portfolio? Well... There's a lot of research around it. Vanguard did a lot of research. And I'll do my best to post these articles if I can. They're in uh, some of the science journals around investing. So I'll see if I can. And if I can, I'll post them in if you really want to dig down into the details. But basically what this study is saying is there's no real good solution for how often you should rebalance if you're using a time 
type of uh, way to rebalance, like every year or every quarter. I mean, if you were going to do it every month, well, that might be excessive. And maybe you're being charged for trades that you're making. And so these all these trading fees are outweighing the benefits of rebalancing. I mean, sometimes in your 401k, there's no charge for trading, uh, especially if you only do it a set number of times during the year. But other times there actually is. And that trading fee is, is coming off your totals and you never see it. You don't even know it. So you have to be careful. There's some research around, well, if you're going to rebalance too soon and do it every month and there's momentum with, let's say, small cap U.S. stocks, well, now you're selling a little bit high, but maybe you're not waiting out the momentum and maybe you should do it every year. And is a year even too frequent? If recessions and bull markets and corrections lasted the same amount of time, we could set up these time-weighted rebalancing and set the frequency to whatever that bear market average is. But the answer is when we see a correction, a bear market, a recession, some of them bounce back quickly like we saw last year when the pandemic hit. And other times it takes a long time, like the Great Recession. So if my only choice was this regular rebalancing set at a certain time period, monthly, quarterly, yearly, I would aim for the yearly. That would give us some time for that positive momentum and really see some drift from our target allocation. But at the same time, we want to not drift too much, get out of our comfort zone with our risk number. So yearly, I think if it were my 401k, that's what I would set it at. Now, if you have an IRA that you're managing yourself, there's no automatic rebalancer. You have to do that on your own, unless for some reason you're with some broker where it allows you to set it. And if you haven't been rebalancing, maybe it's time to start looking into it. In a 401k, it's a lot easier to do. In your IRA, it could be a lot more difficult. You might have to actually do some math and get this worked out so that you are not in a position where you're out of your risk tolerant zone and you're not taking advantage of selling high and buying low. But I don't like this frequency rebalancing. I don't like it at all. It's not what we deploy here at Fortress Planning Group. We instead strategically rebalance the portfolio as often as we need to. Strategic rebalancing has its benefits. First, we don't rebalance every mutual fund or every investment at the same time, like in your 401k, because oftentimes some of these mutual funds or asset classes, I'm going to call them, don't need to be rebalanced. Let's just rebalance the one or two that need to be rebalanced so we can pick and choose. So Scott, if you don't like this frequency rebalancing, how, what is strategic rebalancing and when do you actually do it? Well, hang in there with me. So I'm going to spend these last few minutes talking about it. What we do at Fortress Planning Group, because the research suggests that this is the way to get the most bang for your buck, and we don't want to leave any money on the table for our clients or our own portfolios, so we strategically rebalance. So let's go back to those five mutual funds that are each 20% weighted on day one, and then they start to drift. We're okay with drift. 
up or down a little bit. But what we do is we set up what we call tolerance bands. We're okay if the mutual fund drifts 5 or 10% away from its targeted allocation. So in a, in a 20% mutual fund where we have five of them, if it's going to drift up to 22%, that tolerance band, it means it's 10% from its target. At Fortress Planning Group, we set the tolerance bands up at 20%. So we're okay with that mutual fund drifting to 22% to 23% or on the flip side to 19 to 18 to 17 But when it drifts up to 24 there's my trigger. It's 20% away from its intended target. We wanted that mutual fund to have a 20% weighting. It's gotten all the way up to a 24% weighting relative to the other mutual funds. It's out of tolerance band. It's out of range, 20%. And when that happens, I get a trigger. I get a trigger to make a trade. So what happens? I sell the 24 back to maybe 20 or maybe close to 20. And I take those proceeds. I just sold high. And now I'm buying the mutual fund or mutual funds that are away from tolerance band. They may not be down low enough at 16% or lower, but I'm selling high and I'm still buying those low to get them closer to the intended target of 20% each. Now, what's the best tolerance band to use? I said at Fortress Planning Group, we use 20% because the research suggests that that is the best tolerance band to use. If we're setting up at 5%, it's like too frequent. There's trading costs involved. We're not allowing a certain asset class to take advantage of its momentum. And we don't know how long that momentum is going to last, but we want it to last at least to a drift up of 20% on the tolerance band. Tolerance band strategic rebalancing And all the research that I have read is the best way to rebalance a portfolio. The other thing we do at Fortress Planning Group is each mutual fund earns dividends every quarter. In almost every situation, and especially inside of your 401ks and most of your IRAs, generally that dividend is reinvested right back into its mutual fund. So if my mutual fund that invests in large company stocks earns a quarterly half a percent dividend, it automatically gets reinvested back into that large company. And same for every other mutual fund. That's generally the way most people do it. Research suggests that's not the best way to do it. Research suggests let's let all the dividends from all the mutual funds hit the cash line. And then once a quarter, let's look at that portfolio and let's invest all of that cash in the lowest performing mutual funds, the ones that have drifted below 20%. It allows us to constantly buy low every single quarter. And when we're looking, if something is out of its tolerance band on the high side, we're selling that as well. This strategy was very effective during the pandemic. The downside of this strategy is that you got to be looking at that portfolio every day. Now, we have very sophisticated software that we use in order to get alerts and in order to do this. Otherwise, you have to have some crazy great spreadsheets in order to make this happen. But like I said, it worked great in the pandemic. 
because we were able to quickly, because things got out of tolerance very quickly, and we were able to sell bonds that were well over the tolerance bands and invest in those asset classes that were doing the worst, specifically things like small value. Small value got crushed in March and April. So we rebalanced and we pushed money into small value and then dividends came. We pushed more money into small and more money into small value. And then the dividends came again the next quarter, more and small and more in small value. And then what happened? Boom. In the fourth quarter, these two asset classes were up over 30%. And we had all that money buying low and buying low. And what's happened in the first quarter? Boom. Again. Small is up over 15%. Small value is up over 20%. That, my friends, is strategic rebalancing. That, my friends, will allow you not to leave money on the table. Where you can be looking at this portfolio every single day to make sure that you're doing everything you need to to give yourself and your family the greatest chance for success. Now, I get it. (laughs) You have a life to live. It's not easy to look at portfolios every day. And if you don't have sophisticated rebalancing software, it makes it all the more difficult. So there's a lot of do-it-yourself investors out there. I think that most people listening to this show are do-it-yourself investors. However, have you thought about this one way to enhance your portfolio? And do you have the time to make sure that you're practicing good strategic rebalancing because that's the big thing it's time it's having the software to do it and when you add strategic rebalancing to the portfolio you can add on average a half a percent per year this is according to the Kitsis and Vanguard research to your portfolio it's something you need to do for yourself and for your family so if you think this is too much I think that you should go to Best in Wealth and you should click on the work with me button and just have a conversation. Because a lot of people don't want to hire a financial advisor because it costs money to do so. Why don't I just do it myself? Well, we don't think you should always do it yourself because sometimes you end up with that junk drawer like mine. It starts out great and then it veers and you don't think it's messy, but boy, it's messy. Go to Best in Wealth. Schedule a 15-minute call. Let's just see what's going on inside of the portfolio. This is all the time that I have right now, but I want you to be the best family steward you can be. So I will see you in two weeks. In the meantime, I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone. The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.